for a social justice organization, for example, where you are facing sometimes overwhelming odds or have so many combatants that are making your work difficult, very important to have a framework within your organization that enables you to continue to dream, but dream in a grounded, positive way. Who have we been at our best in the past? How can we bring that forward to the present? And what does that look like in the presence of the current struggles? Welcome to the Be Change Podcast. We're your hosts, Warren Goldstein-Gelb. And Marcy Goldstein-Gelb. This podcast is for leaders and emerging leaders who care about social change and about how to make a great difference in the world. The podcast explores strategies, tools, and stories to help you strengthen your social change and nonprofit leadership skills. So Warren, I was really glad that we had the opportunity to interview Maria Serwa, who's on the faculty of the positive psychology program at the Whole Being Institute that you went to, because I didn't have the benefit of taking part in that program. And as someone who um, co-leads a nonprofit organization, I found her um, recommendations really helpful. You know, one, just one example of a takeaway for me was I, I kept thinking about when she was talking about the importance of having a gratitude practice of expressing appreciation to your coworkers and colleagues was if we're so busy, but if we don't have time to do it right the first time, are we going to have time to clean up the mess? Was the expression I kept thinking of because if we don't take the time in you know in in our rush and our haste to to do the work, are we really going to be able to clean up the mess if our colleagues are feeling burnt out or, or unable to keep going? Yeah, actually, Maria is a um, clinical psychologist who works with children who are have serious diseases or illnesses. And yet she incorporates many of these practices in her work with children. And that led me to start thinking about our organizations in these dark times that may not see that practices such as gratitude, that they don't have time for those. But without some of these practices, they may not survive these dark times and be sustainable for the long term. Hi, Maria. Thank you for joining us today on the Be Change podcast. I, I first met you uh, in 2013 when I enrolled in the uh, certificate program in positive psychology sponsored by the Whole Being Institute. And you were, and still are, on the faculty. Um, I was approaching 50, and I said then that I wanted to figure out what I was going to do with the second half of my life, sort of jokingly. And I saw the program as an opportunity for personal growth and renewal. But I soon realized that positive psychology tools and approaches could be enormously useful in my nonprofit social justice work. And that's precisely why I invited you to join us today to explore that based on your wealth of knowledge and experience in this field. So I would like to get into the tools and practices of positive psychology but first, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to learn a little bit about and explore with you your path to positive psychology. I know that you're teaching positive psychology at the Whole Being Institute, and you also teach a course in positive psychology at the William James College in Boston. 
But what drew you to the path originally? <laughs> what was it about positive psychology that you found useful to dedicate what must be a significant portion of your life to it? That's such a great question. Thank you, Warren. Um, so the early years of my work, I was doing psychology work with families who had children who were facing life-threatening illnesses and uncovered in that work a kind of burning question, which is, how do we do well when life is falling apart? And there are families who do do well. In other words, they grow, they are generous and kind and loving, uh, they invest in meaning. And so that early work really inspired in me a question that I would now term a resilience-based question. How are we resilient in the worst of times? And over the years, positive psychology as a science or a study of human beings at their best expanded. And it became a deep passion of mine to integrate these principles and practices from this science of who we are at our best with the question of how do we do well in the worst moments. And so that's really how I came to the field because it, it bolstered the work that I had already been doing. I think uh, Martin Seligman calls that post-traumatic growth. Yep. So there are some uh, scientists who've really explored this notion of growing through catastrophe, and they've termed it post-traumatic growth. That's absolutely right. And so what is positive psychology? So positive psychology is the study or the science of who we are at our best, what thriving looks like, how do we cultivate resilience and a sense of living um, a life that is healthy, healthful, and sustaining. So those are positive psychology-oriented questions that are at the heart of the science being done in our world now. I would like to introduce our listeners to a couple of practices that they might find helpful for their leadership in social justice organizations. The uh, first is gratitude. Can you talk with me about this practice? How would it benefit social justice leaders, especially in these, some would consider, dark times? So one of the understandings that I have about those who choose to work in uh, the arena of social justice is that they're willing to face a kind of chronic overwhelming stress that sometimes is activated by acute crisis, whether that you're looking at social justice on behalf of the planet and climate change or other species or social justice in terms of humanity. In general, those organizations tend to have a chronic steady state of stress with periodic peaks of acute crisis. And so we know that a gratitude practice has a number of benefits to it that enable us to sort of navigate daily stress while also navigating trauma or catastrophe. And so let me talk about the benefits first and then maybe up how to do a practice. The benefits include it enables us to savor the good that's in the present day. Practicing gratitude reduces the negative impact of negative thoughts and negative emotions or negative experiences. It softens the consequences of trauma. It builds social bonds. And it enables us to sort of craft a resilience because by investing more frequently in momentary states of positivity, which is what gratitude does, 
and by softening the impact of trauma or negative thoughts or negative experiences, we build an inner capacity to navigate the ups and downs of of the day with greater ease and greater open-heartedness, open-mindedness. So a couple of very easy practices would be a daily practice of, you know, literally one minute at work, taking a breath, taking a pause and reflecting, savoring in your mind, okay, what am I grateful for today? Am I grateful for the opportunity to work with a particular person and grateful for the opportunity to be paid for doing something that's meaningful to me, grateful for the opportunity to volunteer with like-hearted, like-minded people, et cetera. So one moment of gratitude reflection during the workday. I like to pair that with an evening gratitude practice, which also is quite brief, maybe two to three minutes, in which you reflect on what was the best moment of the day and simply savor that. You can choose to journal about it or savor it. And this practice of nightly savoring the best moment of the day does a few different things. It reminds us that in every day, no matter how difficult, there is a best moment. Some days it could be as simple as the best moment today was a cup of coffee, right? And other days those moments will be more profound, like success at activating a legal case forward, for example. So it enables us to learn that every day, no matter how difficult the day has the best moment. And number two, if we were to do this practice 30 days or 60 or 90 days in a row, which is what I recommend, we begin to change our neurochemistry. We're actually changing the neurons that wire together in our brain toward the neurons that cultivate a more grounded, steady optimism, even in the presence of stress. So simple tools, very profound impact. So this is all based on science, right? I mean, uh, positive psychology was launched by scientists who saw that psychology had focused too much on abnormal psychology. And uh, in the late 90s, they started to research the best practices for positive psychology and to find what works. Is that right? That's, that's exactly right. So psychology traditionally had, has done a, a, an incredible job at identifying, you know, where we are faulted or fractured and vulnerable and what we might do to repair, which is a one-sided kind of question. And positive psychology is doing its best to cultivate a science that examines the other side of that question, which is what does thriving look like? Who might we be at our best? Um, what do the most successful teams or organizations know? And how can we integrate that into other organizations or other teams? And in terms of gratitude, social psychologists for decades have known that gratitude activates more positive social bonds. So that's not new news. What positive psychology has done is expand the conversation around gratitude to help us understand its impact in terms of difficult moments. That those of us who have a more appreciative perspective on ourselves and on life, and those of us who cultivate regular gratitude practices really do have an increased capacity to withstand the worst moments in life, as well as chronic overwhelming stress. So we have Sonia Lubomirsky out in California, her research team in the UCAL system, really exploring the foundational 
benefits to regular gratitude practice. We have the Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley, Robert Emmons. They are exploring what gratitude does to an individual approach to living. We have Barbara Fredrickson at the University of North Carolina exploring literally the physiological changes that happen to the vagus nerve, to the brain, to the heart, when we put ourselves in micro moments of positive connection which often elevate appreciation and so on. So there's a a rigorous international science having been developed and continuing to be developed around this notion of gratitude. Can you give an example of an organization that has successfully incorporated gratitude into the culture of the organization? What would that look like or what does that look like? Yeah, well, I I can uh, discuss. There's a national organization for social workers and volunteers who work with the dying who have integrated in gratitude practices um, in their weekly staff meetings. They have staff meetings on Monday mornings and so begin their staff meeting with what went well last week. So that's appreciation about the past and then flood their conversations at work with, you know, what's going well today? What can we appreciate about this moment today? And what that does is really activate a perspective in which you you are facing the most difficult things, you know, families that are falling apart, patients that are dying, hospital systems that are broken, um, and at the same time, holding up to the light another side of reality. And and they're both reality, right? What's broken is real. And what is wonderful and, and amazing and astonishing about being alive is also real. So that's one practice. There is a food development organization in Vermont that I've worked with their science team, and they do random acts of gratitude appreciation by randomly putting gratitude sticky notes on each oh. other's Uh, desktops so that you might show up at work on a regular Tuesday morning and your desktop is flooded with appreciation. So we call this love bombing. Um, They've taken that on as a practice. There are uh, school systems throughout the world who integrate gratitude in their early education training. Because if you can have five or six-year-olds cultivating gratitude as a way of being present in school, well, in, in addition, activate things like character strengths and so on. What we've discovered is that engagement in learning increases um, and isolation and bullying decreases. And so integrating these in the early years leads over time to more robust academic performance and engagement in school. Huh. Wow. I think uh, my son's guidance counselor, he had uh, students in the class make a collage of all the positive things that their uh, classmates had done. And so he, at the end of the day, had an individual collage that was an appreciation of from all its classmates. And that's an, an example, right, of, uh, of gratitude by the other students. And boy, did it make them feel good, too. All right. Uh, anything else about... Um, gratitude that you want to point out? So a couple of things that are really important. I'm glad you asked that question, Warren. One is you have to shake it up. If you practice gratitude the exact same way day in, day out for months, it it will get repetitive and for some people dull. And so use different forms like gratitude journaling for a month, gratitude texting for a month, gratitude collages, the random sticky notes that we call love bombing. There are many forms, gratitude letter writing, many forms to take advantage of. 
the second thing is, you know, it doesn't work if you're faking it. So really to take a pause, take a deep breath and ask yourself, what am I truly grateful for in this moment? And literally it's okay if some days the one thing you're grateful for is that there was pie in the cafeteria line at lunch. That is just fine. As long as it, that is truly something that, you know, brings warmth to your heart or a smile. And the third thing to know is that there are many uh, gratitude conversations through TED Talks and Oprah Super Soul Sunday and um, online that help us understand the depth and the impact of this as a practice. I'd like to spend the uh, remaining time in the podcast talking about something that's going to sound a little more complex, maybe, and that's appreciative inquiry. Some of our listeners will be like, what? What's appreciative inquiry? So can you tell us what appreciative inquiry is and uh, why do you think it would be useful today? So appreciative inquiry is a field of study that is very complementary to positive psychology that emerged in the organizational development field. And its leading figure is a gentleman named David Cooper Ryder, who um, teaches at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western in the United States. And he is a global thought leader in this field. And in general, what appreciative inquiry means is inquiring toward the good. So organizations typically will hire consultants to come in and fix a, a particular problem. And the entire focus is on the problem. What's going wrong? How did we fail? Who's responsible for it? What are the consequences of this thing, this budgeting process, or this particular team, you know, not doing well? And what Dr. Cooper Ryder discovered around the same time that positive psychology was beginning to emerge as a science is that if you inquire toward the good, so for example, if the questions that you ask are appreciative in nature, and they might be the following kinds of questions, who might we be at our best as a team? When we have been at our best as an organization, what did that look like? What were the success factors and how did we each contribute? Um, when you inquire toward the good, you ignite a different kind of energy and engagement in an organization that often helps place the difficulties in a much larger context of what is possible. And for many people, many teams, that is a, a, a framework, the what is possible framework, that actually inspires them to keep showing up and doing the hard work that they're doing, as opposed to just showing up and dialing it in. So for a social justice organization, for example, where you are facing sometimes overwhelming odds or have so many combatants that are making your work difficult, very important to have a framework within your organization that enables you to continue to dream, but dream in a grounded, positive way. Who have we been at our best in the past? How can we bring that forward to the present? And what does that look like in the presence of the current struggles? That conversation is a very powerful, engaging uh, inspiring and often highly motivating conversation. Appreciative inquiry has been used with organizations like British Airways, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, the entire city of Cleveland activated a 10-year appreciative inquiry process to cultivate a, a new experience of living in Cleveland. So it's being used internationally. The United Nations uses an appreciative inquiry process with its United Nations Business Leaders Forum. The Dalai Lama used it for a, uh, in the year 2000 with 
600 religious leaders around the world building community to face the fact that most conflict is religious-based, not nation-state-based. So its impact is absolutely global. That's very useful. And I think appreciative inquiry would be uh, a tool that social justice organizations, especially right now, where coming at a problem from that perspective is probably very, very hard to think about doing. So we may have time for you to tell us about another practice from positive psychology that you feel would be useful for social justice leaders? So, you know, one of the most robustly researched tools and practices that we also have is called character strengths or leading from your strengths. And that research can be found directly on a, a website called via, V-I-A, character.org. And the research, again, is global and has demonstrated that those of us who lead from our character strengths. So character strengths are those qualities that are good and rich within us that are natural to us that when we activate them, provide positive gain, positive benefit, excuse me, for ourselves, and also positive gain, positive benefit for others. So a character strength might be something like social intelligence or self-discipline or generosity or love of humanity or tenacity, those are all character strengths. And under stress, we've noticed that those who are the most resilient consciously choose to lead from their strengths. So they make a conscious choice to activate a particular quality or character, you know, literally when you're heading into the boardroom meeting that's going to be difficult or when you have to have a painful conversation with a teammate or an employee, or when you're faced with the fact that the project that you've just worked on for 13 months has failed, right? The most resilient of us lead from our character strengths. Right. And so those are a set of 24, is it? Uh, Character strengths that everyone has a different profile. At the Welcome Project, we used character strengths for the youth in our, one of our programs. And, you know, everyone came out with a different profile, the top five strengths that they had. And so, um, so you're saying uh, that those strengths should be, could be particularly useful when you're in a tough uh, situation. Yes. Yes. So for example, I'm thinking now of a senior executive at a, a banking firm who had to let go of an entire product team because the product was no longer viable. And, and this is a, a global firm with, you know, billions and billions of dollars at their resource. But she was finding it very, very hard to let go of the team because one of her top strengths is loyalty. She's extremely loyal. Um, so she, what she did was integrate that loyalty with a lower strength, which is creativity, and asked herself, again, this is an appreciative inquiry approach, how might I be creative and loyal while helping this team find new placement in the organization? And she gave herself six months to answer that question on behalf of each of her team members. And many of them, she was able to find uh, really good positions within the organization. A few of them she helped place outside the organization. But in, in asking the very question, you know, which of my strengths is going to help me most remain loyal, but also achieve the goal I have to achieve, which is to let go of this product team, but do it in a way that has integrity and and some positivity to it. You know, she, she like the Green Mountain Coffee Roaster team, had an, a much more positive and highly engaging outcome than had she just simply said, okay, this product doesn't work, so the team has to be fired. Huh. Yeah. 
You see, many of the questions that we face, and I'm sure this is true in the social justice world, they don't have necessarily a black and white answer. They they have answers that really, if we give ourselves permission to, can be much more rich and complex and beautiful. Um, you know, that we can take the time, for example, to explore which of my strengths is going to help me navigate this particular difficulty with the best of myself present. And then can I give myself the time and space to make that real? That's a much more rich and complex answer than, okay, how do I get through this difficult moment? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, how can people uh, learn more about you and how to get in touch with you? Well, thank you, Warren. So my name, Maria Sirwa. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, and I have a website, just simply mariasirwa.com. That's S-I-R-O-I-S. Um, and I'm also very engaged, as you know, through Whole Being Institute, wholebeinginstitute.com as well. So, And do you have any resources besides your own website that you would particularly recommend for people who you know, want to dig a little deeper into positive psychology, or maybe they're looking for an introduction because they're considering going to the certificate program or attending your class at William James College. So a couple of ideas. Whole Being Institute often has free classes and webinars, um, so I would, I would go there. Coursera, which is that free online global learning community, often feature some of the greatest thought leaders in positive psychology, Barbara Fredrickson, Tal Ben-Shahar, Ron Fry, who is an appreciative, appreciative inquiry professor as well. They have offered free courses. The Greater Good Science Center, if you're interested in gratitude, and the viacharacter.org website, if you're interested in character strengths. Is there anything that we have not talked about that um, we should, we should uh, touch on? I think one, just one thing that's important for those wonderful human beings who are so connected to social justice issues to remember is that for centuries, there has been wisdom present to us that reminds us that there is much in life that we can't control, but we do have control over how we respond to the vicissitudes of life. And holding that awareness in mind enables us to activate our living as if we are personally leading ourselves in our own lives, crafting our own choices in terms of how we respond at work and how we respond at home. And I think that's a really important perspective to keep in mind when you have chosen to be in a field such as the social justice field that we know sometimes does not have immediate positive results and is a, is a marathon journey as opposed to a sprint. Um, we always have choice. The greatest, this is Viktor Frankl, the greatest freedom we have is the freedom to choose how we respond, what we activate and inspire within ourselves, and what goodness we bring to the world. Yeah, I love his quote about between uh, stimulus and response, there is a space, and I don't remember the rest of the quote, but um, that's the key part of the quote. And for those who don't know, Viktor Frankl spent a lot of time in a concentration camp. So if anybody should be able to state the challenges of thinking positively, it would be him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the quote is something like in between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is freedom, you know, the freedom to choose wisely how we respond. And those who 
are choosing to cultivate gratitude, to activate signature strengths, to ask appreciative-based questions, are really choosing to hold dual reality, you know, that things are difficult or challenging or conflicted or, you know, incredibly stress-producing. And at the same time, there is uh, positivity that we can activate in the very moment. Great. So I'm I'm grateful for uh, for you um, both as a person, but also for taking the time to join me on the on the podcast today, and to more importantly to provide some tools and skills that people who are engaged in the sometimes incredibly difficult work of social justice can maybe use to make that work a little bit easier or provide a little bit more control for people who might be otherwise finding the world and their work overwhelming. Yes, well said. Thank you, Warren, for the opportunity to be a part of your work as well. Thanks for joining us on the Be Change podcast. If you like the show, subscribe on whatever podcast player you are listening on and on our website, b-change.net. Please follow us on Facebook and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks to our producer, John Consilio, and to our partners, Somerville Community Media and Boston Free Radio.